Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. This week, Pocket Dan Grabber and I talk about the new LEGO Super Mario sets out on the 1st of August that brings an interactive Nintendo experience to the humble play sets. I talked to co-founder of AI voice technology company Synantic about creating a voice AI that can cry and Cam Bunton joins me to give his verdict on the new OnePlus Nord smartphone. Is it good enough to stand out from the crowd? But first, back to you, Dan. Tell us more about Lego Super Mario. Well, it's been expected for quite some time. Um, Lego and Nintendo announced much earlier in the year they were going to team up over this. And basically, this is a playable um, selection of sets. There are 16, 16 sets in the range. But the, the, the key element is the, is the starter course, which is a, a, a beginner set as such. And then onto that, you build various expansion packs and power and power packs as well. Um, and basically, um, it all fits together, and you can pair pair the uh, Mario character with with the app. Um, although you don't need the app while you're actually playing. And basically, you can explore the Mario world in that way. And Stu, you've been playing with it, haven't you? And uh, I was going to say, I'm going to fess up now that I've become a child again for a little bit of time and uh, and have been building the sets and uh, and stuff. So we started with Lego kindly sent us uh, the starter set. Uh, they sent us another set to do with piranhas where you've got like a slide that you've got to move. Um, you can, you've got to slide up and down collecting coins, but without hitting the piranhas so you don't kill yourself. And then they sent us Bowser's, um, Bowser's Castle, which is this, is the kind of the big daddy set there. Um, it's a really interesting experience. I was really surprised because on all the pictures that you can see on Pocalint and elsewhere on the web, Mario just looks like this naff bit of Duplo. <laughs> We've all kind of got beyond Duplo now when we're playing Lego. Um, but when he actually turned up um, and I got him out of the box, he, he's battery operated. Those that The eyes in his tummy are a color LCD display, and actually pretty good quality color LCD display. And he's got he's got a little speaker in him, so he's going, Mario time, and things like this. Um, and obviously interacts with, with the pieces that you're playing. So each the 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 he has a color light sensor underneath underneath him so when you put him on certain bits of lego or these what these little tiles that kind of got like a barcode like almost like a qr code i suppose on them he reacts in different ways and so if you put him on a red bit of lego he thinks that's fire and if you leave him there he'll die um which is is quite good fun i can see this it, it feels like it's it, when i heard about it i thought oh this is just a cash in you know, Lego and, and Mario, two brilliant brands, you know, aimed very squarely at kids. Oh, just, this is just, you know, throwing some money at it. And, and it feels like it's actually someone's thought about it, which is quite, which is quite novel. Yeah, absolutely. And what does, the, what, so what does the app actually offer you? Because obviously, you know, you, you don't actually need it to play. So what, what, does, what does that offer? Is it sort of... Yeah, this was, one of, this was one of the only frustrations is you do need an app to... All the building instructions come on the app. Ah, right. So they've got rid of all of those, you know, like some of, as you know, of building. I mean, what's the biggest set you've built? You've built like some of the I Star Wars the Millennium stuff. Falcon, which is 7,000 right. pieces. Yeah. And the manual, the building manual that comes with that is kind of like a couple of hundred pages. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And so now they've taken, they've taken that and just put it all into either an iPhone app or an Android app, or you can run it obviously on iPad as well. Um, and so you, 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 you click through the 
instead of turning a page in a, in a paper manual, you click through the instructions on a on a on a, on a book on a, on a on an app, and that's useful in some ways because you can then move the pieces around like you're in a mega CAD drawing, so you can see if you can't see it perfectly on the on the side the angle that they've shown it to originally, you can obviously just move your finger around the and spin it around and look at it from a different different angle and different that's direction. Which is nice. And I think they've gone with this option, partly from a sustainability perspective, I would presume, but also because each instruction, once you've built the set, it then allows you to um, get play a video which shows you the interaction of Mario and what how you're supposed to play. And suddenly it's a very white uh, sort of set that comes in and there's a child's hand that sort of is holding Mario and he's bouncing around and and, and doing all this stuff so you can see what you're supposed to to do like one of the pieces in um i think it's in the starter set is you build a cloud with uh with a little stick to hold the cloud and the video at the end of it shows you that you put mario on the cloud and then you move him up and down as if he's on a cloud to, to get to the next bit of the game i guess that's um, a key difference isn't it because you with with a normal lego set you build it whatever set it is and then you play with it or have it on a shelf or whatever but with this, because it's it, because all the sets work together, but you buy them separately, it's it's more of a system, isn't it? And it needs to adapt to what you've actually got. Yeah, and I think my my son who built it with me was it was he's twelve, and he was quite um he thought it was a really good idea that you could that he really loved the interactivity of the of the new manual rather than a paper thing because he could see where it was difficult to build or, or what have you. Um, but also he felt that it allowed him to see what was what was going on or what you know the videos allowed us to work out where it was supposed to fit in the game and and, and all those things but he did like that ability to then the, the kind of suggestions of how you're supposed to make the track um you know the course that you're building but it's not it, it, it's not a def- definitive and then at the end of that as well there is this sense that um it's not just that this is not again this is not a piece of lego that you sit on your on your shelf and do nothing with because it's just a bit unwieldy to do that it's not like a millennium falcon or it's not you know it's not a specific single item at the end you've got a lot of bits um because they're all this part of this this track and course and stuff so i think it's an interesting approach from from lego because it does give you that sense of 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 building a a game it's almost like you could come back you know these are level building processes from like decades ago probably how they tried to work out how to build mario in the first place um but it was it it's kind of it'd be interesting to see whether this flows through to other things through Lego, and this is a good example of of where it will start. And then you'll get other game style Lego sets that that not are only in the Mario world, but in other worlds as well. So, can you just go and buy the starter course, and which is which is fifty pounds, fifty dollars as well? Um, yeah. Or, or can you can you can you just play with that, or do you need other other things to 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 get going? You can. You can the the starter set. I think it's like. It's like 50, 60 quid. You can get, um, effectively, you get the Mario, which is the bit you're paying for here because, as I say, he's got LCD, he's got speaker, he's got accelerometer, gyroscope, he's got the light sensor. Do you know what I mean? It is a fully fledged, it looks simple, but it's a fully fledged piece of electronics. Um, and then not much, there's not much of a course. There is a basic course. You've got those, you know, you've got a flag to jump through at the end. You've got a few, uh, if you think you've got a Grumba to, to destroy. Uh, you will tire very quickly, though. Um, from from that because there isn't it is as it is it's a starter set so you then in theory you could make your own 
you could make your own uh, Lego, you know, your own tracks with your own pieces of Lego. The key is these little barcodes that fit onto the onto the uh, monsters that you're trying to destroy or, or beat. Um, but ultimately, you could make your own course because if you just by just by jumping um, Mario up and down, like shaking him up and down, the gyrometer, um, the gyroscope knows that and the accelerometer knows you've moved him, and so you can collect coins and 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 things like that. So. You can have fun. I think I think you would need to to spend a little bit more though to get some of the expansion sets. Yeah, so you're talking you're you're talking sort of about hundred pounds, hundred dollars to start off with, aren't you? Because you've got the the the, the fifty pound starter course, and then you the expansion set start at twenty five pounds. So if you had a couple of those, in fact, they, yeah. they get quite expensive, don't they? Because the Bowser's Castle one is is a hundred pounds, yeah, yeah ninety pounds, something along those lines. Yeah. So I think it's it's certainly uh, for Lego it's an interesting direction and I think that it's having played with it now it doesn't feel like the 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 duplo clashing that I thought it was to begin with and you can see that not only will they probably if it continue if it's a success I suspect there'll be lots more um Mario expansion sets to go on from that but I could also see them easily doing licensing deals with other platform s games going forward um I don't know whether whether there is a restriction or whether they can uh, do a deal with with Sega for Sonic, you know, the other famous platform game there, or just other you know other notions within their own licensed IP of you know a Nexo, um, was it Ninjago and things like that. You could easily do something similar from that. It was a it's a very different approach and a more playful approach to Lego as we know it, based on the fact that over the last ten years it does feel like Lego is now just really about building massive sets that sit on your uh, sit on your shelf and not actually get played with still to come cam gives us his verdict on the oneplus nord smartphone for me i think i would like to see them sticking to that the never settle attitude that they're always talking about and going let's not follow the crowd when you think of computer generated ai voices you probably think of alexa siri or google assistant they're better than they were, but they don't have any real feelings to them, do they? That could all change, though, thanks to Synantec, a company that is specialised in giving voice AI feelings. Here's an example of their work so far. I can still hear voices. Sometimes, if I'm lucky, I hear her. And it's like she's right here with us. Her warmth, her love. I miss her. I just don't understand. What did I do? Faith. There's something you need to know. Mom. Don't leave me. You can't just go. You need to find out for yourself. long enough I'm ready to know
All the voices you've just heard were computer generated. Impressive, isn't it? But how does it work? What are the implications for the tech and where can you expect to see it being used in the future? I talked to Sanantec co-founder Zina Qureshi and started by asking her to explain just how it all was possible. We, on one side, we work with actors and we synthesize their voices and we create a profit share with them. So anytime their voice gets used, they, they get passive income. And on the other side, we have studios, entertainment studios that need voice acting on demand. They're looking for a performance. Um, we alleviate the issues of casting, editing, directing, booking recording studios, the whole long voice pipeline that can be very painful. Um, and we make this quicker and uh, easier to use. And essentially, um, everything we do voice tech wise is around quality having a very natural performance so this is something very different to the average text-to-speech because we look at the subtleties um we're training our algorithms to have the nuances of breath cadence intonation patterns uh emotions projection levels like all of these little things that people use to um, express themselves through voice we're, we're putting into our technology now voice assistance and uh, voice acting isn't anything new we obviously when we all started using sat navigation systems in our cars there was always that turn left turn right you know at the next junction etc etc a lot of the time you hear stories in the past of that would be someone having to say every single word to make that a reality and then the disjointedness of those words would then come out to be something quite silly um that then moved on from a technology point of view to amazon alexa which is completely digital voice there is no human involved does your technology take that to the next level or is it a mixture of the two or just sort of from a process how do you get the voice into the system or is there no voice in the first place yes so we work with actors and um we do recordings with them we have a process and strict audition uh, guidelines that they that we need them to work with and then we use a set of recordings and then we model their voice um, and this is pretty crucial because talent is key here so if you look at personal assistants um, it's usually around how quick can that personal assistant answer your question does it understand your question mm. whereas what we're doing is focusing purely on uh, a quality performance using text-to-speech where the um, actor's talent matters. And so we're just creating a way of augmenting how actors already work. And so this creates um, a way to get quality voice acting fast. Um, so if you need, if you need something uh, to be spoken, um, say you're a content developer at a, at a studio and you need this done as quickly as possible because you're iterating on um, a title. This would be able to take your your workload from like months down to minutes. Wow. And so what kind of examples, you know, where is this being used? Where do you see this being? Like, where's the key usage for this? So we're, we're actually in a beta right now and we're seeing a, a few different use cases. Um, initially, um, and, and what we're seeing right now is a lot of studios are using this for pre-production. And then as... Um, 
as they continue to hear out uh, what their narrative team is working on and how it fits into level designs at studios and then how the audio team finesses it. Um, it really helps with the way their workflow goes in their pipeline, making really strong entertainment products. Um, so some, some users like this for all of their, uh, like all of their voices um, within their story. Some use it for pre-production to test out material. Um, some use it for, I guess, pickup lines. Um, so there's, there's definitely a variety of use cases here and, and it's still being explored. And this is primarily in games rather than sort of animation or, 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 or movies. So we're seeing it, we started with gaming studios, so we have more information around gaming, um, but we're also seeing uh, a similar use in animation and film and TV because the pipeline is very similar. And so like my co-founder, John, his background is he is a speech researcher, but unlike most speech researchers, he's worked on Hollywood films for over a decade. He was working on the post-production dialogue editing um, pipelines and right. It works very, very similarly to the way it works in gaming. And so the idea is, I suppose, from a gaming perspective, you can then have it where you can have multiple story branches and it's all being voiced by the AI rather than having to spend hours recording someone saying all those all those products, all those lines. Yes. Um, so with studios, like they still have their their actors that they like working with, but this can help augment how that works. Like right now, we also saw like a huge interest because um, with Corona, actors couldn't go into studios like they used to. So people were looking for non-traditional ways uh, to try to fix the issue. And sometimes they need to iterate really quickly. So like with our technology, this definitely helps them to get further with their projects. And yes, with actors like, some of their voices have been voiced uh, already. Some of them need to uh, maybe do a few more lines, and that's really difficult because ordinarily you would need um, you would need to go through the full pipeline again of like mm. having to book a recording studio just to get one more line of dialogue in. And this is something that maybe will alleviate that pressure for actors who might be signed on to other jobs at the time and studios who need to work quickly. And so do you think there is a point where we could you could start using it for voice assistance or do you feel that it's still very much scripted dialogue that you need to focus on? Um, so that's that's definitely a good question. I think voice assistants don't necessarily need that quality. Um, if if someone was looking for an assistant that sounded more like Jarvis and her, uh, like the movies, um, mm. that's definitely something that would would make that relationship between humans and, and computers probably like even more immersive. And that's pretty fun. Like I know Alexa is making games, there's personal assistant games, and we're seeing this a lot through um, who's uh, who we're working with. Uh, and so I think there's, there's room for that, but that's definitely not um, a key focus for us at the moment. And how do you, how does it cope with different languages? Can it, is it just English or can it do, if you had a Spanish actress or actor, could that suddenly work in, in that language or French or? So yes, we are in English only right now. Um, but uh, it isn't difficult to do a different language. Um, and we actually started, like when we first raised our um, seed funding, we actually had British accents. Now we have 
American accents because a lot of people like Hollywood voices. That's more of like the popular demand with the neutral American accent. Um, but accents and, and languages, it's just a matter of, uh, I guess, training on those models, working with actors that are native in that in that language, in that tongue, that sound quite natural, so that we ensure that we get all the the nuance and, and subtleties from that language. And would that mean you'd be able to get, could your AI speak another language, or is it that you have to have the original voice in that native language? So it's I can't speak Spanish, for example, but if you recorded my voice, could the AI make me speak Spanish or sound as if it's a me, me speaking Spanish? So that's definitely something we can do in the future, and it's in our roadmap. Like we would be able to, yeah, I guess, create a Spanish version of yourself. Um, but that's what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, I suppose it's that sort of sense of if it comes to dubbing a movie, you could could you take someone like George Clooney, for example, and say, right now we're going to get him to speak Chinese, even though he can't speak Chinese for the Chinese dubbed version. So at least when you're listening to a dubbed version, it sounds like George Clooney rather than than someone that's been brought in to just record the voice of George Clooney. Got it. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we're definitely going to be looking at, um, especially when we do languages, because people want the the dubbing to be as natural as possible or else it's not an immersive experience when you watch the film uh, or the TV or, or whatever it is you're watching, because, you know, we see entertainment as a as a form of happiness, as escape, as, you know, um, storytelling. And so the dubbing the dubbing has to fit. And I know a lot of people already turn off TV when it doesn't sound good. So we'll be looking at matching that quality when we get to um, creating more languages. Now, one of the things that uh, perhaps raises an initial question is that is the ethical elements of this. And just that understanding of, you know, if you look at the internet at the moment, a lot of videos, there's a lot of chat about deep fakes you know, the idea that it's implying that someone is, you know, overlaying, using special effects to overlay on other faces and, and things like that. If you add the element of, of a voiceover in addition to that, what do you feel are the ethical things that you have to be careful of or aware of as you build out this technology? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So we take misuse very seriously. Uh, my background is I, I worked in social impact for six years. Um, and so we... We don't ever train on voices that are um, unaware of their voice being synthesized. And I know a lot of uh, companies might train off of YouTube and and there can be things um, that people try to explore there, but that's not something we're doing. We build a partnership with every actor so they know exactly where their voice is going to be. And this also prevents deep fakes because you can't just take a voice and then recreate it. Like we control creating the models ourselves and the actors are aware. And then we also work on um, work with entertainment studios specifically where the quality matters and they need voice acting on demand. So I think we're, we're taking parameters to um, definitely look out for this and, and keep it as safe as possible. And then we also, in our tech, are um, preventing any hate speech or things that uh, could be alarming to be generated. And, and I suppose the final question I have is if people are interested to hear examples of this, are there any sort of examples in games at the moment or is it demos? And if so, where where can they go and listen to more? 
Yes, so right now we're in a private beta, so everything is uh, under wraps. And um, we do have some demos on, on YouTube. Like we created the first AI that can cry, so people can go and have a listen to that. And uh, you can see the behind the scenes and, and um, the interview with one of the actresses we have, as well as um, yeah, some of our teammates. And then we have samples on our, on our website where you can hear different voices um, that we've created with the actors that we work with. An AI that can cry. How does, how does that, how's that even possible? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely possible. We, what we did is we, we looked at all the different nuances between um, just like, I guess, being like slightly sad to very deep sadness where it goes into a speech pattern that isn't even actually speech. It's more of like a guttural sound. And we wanted to prove this out because um, everything we're doing is around performance and nuance. And if you can't get those those elements of depth, like it's not going to sound natural. And so it's definitely possible. Um, and this is uh, something that John was explaining to me when we first started working together. Like there were things that he saw in speech research that were great, but then coming from his film background, um, there's a lot of nuances and things that he would hear when he heard Christian Bale perform that right. didn't necessarily happen with with speech, uh, text-to-speech. So that's something that we're doing differently. And when he explained this, I actually understood what he meant because I had to teach a lot of nuance to the children I, I taught. They were completely nonverbal, um, and I'd have to talk to them and, uh, I guess, express emotions to a level where they would understand it and be able to replicate it and repeat it to to communicate with me and communicate with others and so for us like we took sadness and crying because that's one of the hardest things uh like an actor can do like when we did auditions like a lot of people um when they audition it's easier to get angry than it is to just i guess break down and cry and so when we found that, um, we said, we're going to prove this out and then we can do it with all of the rest of the emotions. So that's exactly what we're doing. And so I suppose then the final question leads me to what's the next emotion? Yeah, right now we're doing um, several emotions, actually. Uh, happiness, sadness, uh, anger and fear, like different levels of those. Um, we've had our algorithm sound sarcastic before we can get um, the algorithm to whisper uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. It's definitely the funnest job I've ever had. The OnePlus Nord is the latest phone from OnePlus. Just don't call it a comeback, though. That's the roughly paraphrased measures the company has stuck to throughout the lead to the launch of the new OnePlus Nord smartphone. But can a new sub £400 smartphone really be an alternative to the £1,000 flagship devices on a market that we all want and lust after? And just how has OnePlus been able to return to making more affordable phones without alienating its fans or cutting corners? Well, the good news is that Cam Bunton is here to tell us what he thinks of the new phone, having been reviewing it for the last two weeks. So, Cam, what do you like? There's a lot to like. I think it's like you said, they they have to cut corners. But I think with OnePlus, it's, it's more about staying true to what people expect from their phones so you still get this really fast and fluid and smooth experience the software is uncluttered and is getting closer and closer to being more like the pure android that a lot of the tech fans love uh, and it's got a battery that lasts easily all day and it charges quickly so it has a lot of those key elements still 
And so does that mean when you talk about going towards a more vanilla experience, does does that mean that this is kind of a, a Pixel 4a, if ever we get it, a kind of a 3a device that that would be a comparative mix to, or is it more to the Motos, or is it more to the Chinese brands? What yeah, kind of, what's... it's an interesting one. It's something I noted in the review as sort of like a passing thought more than a, a critical analysis, but it's it feels a bit like when Google used to team up with other manufacturers to create the Nexus brand phones because they were a very pure, very stock uh, vanilla, as you say, Android experience, but it still has this power and fluidity and it has that attractive price point. It's not anywhere near the £1,000 price that you would pay for a really highly polished premium or ultra premium phone. And so what's your favorite bit about it? Like if you would say this is one thing that you need to pick out, what would that be? The one thing, and for me personally, it, it is that fluid and lightweight experience of when you're gliding through various elements of the software and switching between apps or playing games. Everything is just smooth and effortless, and it does it without stuttering or lag. It just feels like a very polished software and performance experience. Now, you've talked to us about the nice things. What have they got wrong? What do you think they could have done better? I mean, it's it's hard not to criticize the camera system again. Uh, it seems like a recurring theme with OnePlus. Yeah, like I'm you, sure you've said that before about uh, OnePlus devices. Definitely. Even on the flagship phones, you get to this point where you're like, it's, it's so close to being good, um, but it's not quite there. And I think with, with this one, it's not alone in this, in the mid-range market. They've put a, a four-camera system on the back, so it's got a quad-camera system. Uh, except two of those sensors are really low resolution. One of them is for macro photos. One of them is just for extra depth information. Um, there's an ultra wide camera on there, but then that one isn't quite as good as the main camera. So really you end up with this camera, this camera system where you've got one camera that's actually a really good camera on its own. You, and most people will be very happy with the results in terms of sharpness and ease of use, mm. color, and then you've got these other three that seem to be there for no real good reason. No more reason. <laughs> yeah, it's it feels like it's spec boasting. You see, it's they're not the only ones. Motorola have done it um, on their Moto G series. They've got a quad camera whereby only one camera is actually decent. So for me, I think I would like to see them sticking to that uh, never settle attitude that they're always talking about and going, let's not follow the crowd. Let's actually just put two good cameras in the back and ignore the rest because that would be a much a much better, more premium experience and one that would make it a more attractive uh, phone, I think, personally. Now, overall then, do you think this is something that will, you know, is it something you should think about getting if you're in a market for a sub-400 phone? Or do you think you should really just spend perhaps the extra couple of, maybe £100 or whatever, and get one of their more traditional phones that they would call flagship no i think it's it's an interesting one even though i've said obviously all that stuff about the camera as an entire package on its own uh, as a whole um, it's still a very very good device and in the price range that it's in which is under 400 pounds you're going to struggle to get anything that's as complete as the oneplus nord it's a full package it's a really good phone and actually comparing it to the oneplus 8 there's only a few things that you don't get, like the premium sort of frosted glass finish on the back uh, and the curved display on the front. But it, it gives you all the real basic stuff that you need and it does it really well. So for the price range, it is a really good phone and it's going to be one of the best ones around for the next year or so. 
And do we think this is, that's the thing, do you think this is a standalone device or is this now a new, it feels very much when the way that they were marketing and stuff, this is a new range. This is a new thing where we're going to see a lot more Nord devices, maybe the Nord 1, Nord 2, Nord 3 over the next couple of years. Do you think that's, that will only grow better or do you think it will suffer from the same problem or same, same scenario of OnePlus, which eventually it starts at £400 price bracket, but then it gets, you keep on adding stuff and it's suddenly 800 quid in a couple of years' time. Yeah, it depends. I think it does depend on how, what the prices of the ultra premium in their, in their range does. If the, if the high end phones start creeping up over £1,000, which would be really unusual for OnePlus, then I can imagine that these would get more expensive again as they add more stuff to it. But I think the key focus on the Nord is to try and keep that cost down and to give you as polished and as premium an experience as you can get for that kind of money. Um, so I can't imagine that it's going to go up too much. Um, but, I mean, you just don't know, do you? Things tend to creep up all the time from all manufacturers. So we'll see. It's definitely the first of many, though. It's not a standalone device. It's going to carry on, I think. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip-pip.